All right, so this is a, a really important part of this chapter, so I want to dig right in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Now, if you've been here and we've been walking through this first chapter and then chapter 2 together, we've kind of heard Paul talking a lot about wisdom. And basically everything he's said about wisdom has been negative so far, right? Christians, we are considered foolish to the world. We exalt in what the world thinks is folly. Their wisdom is nothing. And so Paul has been pretty hard on the topic of wisdom so far. And one of the things he is kind of concerned with here in the church in Corinth is, okay, well, maybe they're going to accidentally think that I don't value the idea of wisdom. And so in verse 6, he starts talking about wisdom from a Christian perspective. That is how a Christian should view, value, and desire wisdom. So starting in verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right, let's pray and we'll dig in. Father God, I pray that you would be with us this time. I pray that you would allow us to give our attention to your word and what you would have us to hear and understand. We do pray for our friends here who have never accepted your free grace and trusted in you and placed their faith in Jesus, that maybe tonight would be the night they do that. And I pray, Lord, that you, by your power, would be pleased to do that so we might rejoice in you bringing one of your children home. Be with us now. Help us to understand this and apply this to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my question for tonight is this. Do you want to be a mature Christian? And I want you to really ask yourself this question. Do you want to be a mature Christian? Now, the reason I ask that is because the answer for everyone who claims faith, in your mind, you're saying, yes, I do. I want you to feel the gravity of answering that question with, yes, I do. Okay? Do you want to be a mature Christian? Okay, so in this passage of Scripture, one of the most amazing things to me and we're not going to unpack this tonight. And this is something that you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to unpack that your little brain and my little brain can't comprehend. But what Paul tells us is that before the world was even created, before the first sin ever happened, God planned 
to send his son Jesus Christ to die for sinners that they might be saved. Before we were ever even a thought in our parents' mind, God, before the ages, before he ever spoke water and light and air and dinosaurs into being, decided that he would send his son Jesus to die on a cross. Now, what is pretty amazing beyond that is what Paul also tells us is that he doesn't just do that. He decided in ages past that he would share that wisdom with us. And so before you were even a thought in anyone's mind except God, he decided to share the wisdom of his son with you. That is amazing. But what Paul wants us to understand, what, what he wants us to realize, is that wisdom that he shares with us through his spirit is not just actualized or attained fully when we're saved. What Paul wants us to know is the wisdom that God shares with us through his spirit is then a wisdom that we're called to grow in for the rest of our earthly existence. And so what Paul is concerned with for the Corinthian believers and for us is that we would grow in wisdom and maturity and that we would in our lives cultivate a desire for the things that God desires. Now, this could seem super complex to us and we could be thinking, okay, well, how do you do that? What is it? We're going to talk about all of that. But what I want you to understand right now is that this sermon, hopefully, is actually really, really simple. And so whenever you answer the question in your mind, yes, I do want to be a mature Christian. That's what I want for my Christian life. What I'm telling you is the answer to that is actually pretty simple. Harder to do, but really simple. And so I, I want you to grasp that this evening. What Paul wants for this church is what I want for you. I, I want God's wisdom to be your wisdom. And so if this is what you want, the question then is, how do you do it? So I think there's two things. Number one, wisdom is received. So Paul starts off in verse six and he says, yet among the, the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now I've just told you that before the world even came into existence, God declared, he decided that he would impart the wisdom of Jesus Christ crucified to those of us who would trust in Jesus Christ crucified. And so God's plan was to give his wisdom to us by his spirit. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, think of it like this. When you go to the eye doctor and they say to you, I, I hate to tell you this, but you can't see good. And you know that because you are here. You are going to need some spectacles. Now, the reason you need your specs is because you don't see things correctly, right? Your vision is blurry or you have an astigmatism and so you don't focus and your eyes do all kinds of weird things or maybe even you have something like a, a lazy eye and, and it's distracting you from seeing things the way that they're supposed to be seen. And so the eye doctor, they look at you and they say, we're going to give you a pair of glasses or we're going to prescribe you a pair of contacts and these should fix the problem. These, these lenses should give you a correct view of the world, of things around you, of, of words written on a paper, of signs in the distance. Now, when Paul is talking about God imparting the spirit to us, as in the spirit of wisdom, his wisdom, what he means is the spirit will impart a wisdom to you that will serve as a lens to which you can see the world. And so without the spirit, 
you don't see things correctly. Paul is telling us that a part of God's plan to reveal wisdom to us is to give us the lens of the Spirit. And so we are enabled to have the wisdom of God because God chooses to give us the wisdom of God. But Paul takes it a step further because he doesn't just say God imparts wisdom. He says, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. So a part of maturing in wisdom for us as believers is submitting to the Spirit. And you're like, okay, you said this would be easy. You're thinking, okay, how do I do that? How, how on earth am I supposed to submit to the Spirit working the wisdom of God in me? Is it happening right now? Was that what that twitch was? Was that the Spirit? How do I know this? What Paul tells us is that it's actually through ordinary means. What he says is the wisdom that we impart to you as the apostles is the wisdom that Jesus imparted to us. What Paul is telling us right now is that one of the major ways that the Spirit grows us in the wisdom of God is being taught the Word of God. The reason I said it's through ordinary means is because when you come into this place Sunday after Sunday, even on the days where you just feel like, you know what, I'm a sinner, I'm so bad, I don't even know why I went to church, I was frustrated, I was mad, I was angry, I didn't want to be at church, this youth group is stupid, anything you could be thinking. Or you could be coming into this place and thinking, man, I'm the worst Christian here. Everyone is so much better than me. Whatever it is that you may be tempted to think in your mind as you come into this place, what Paul is saying is it doesn't actually matter how you feel about this. If you are a believer and you are sitting under the word of God, that is the preaching of God's word, the reading of God's word, or the singing of God's word, or the talking about of God's word, that is God's ordinary means of working his wisdom in you in expanding your understanding of God's wisdom, in growing you in the wisdom that God has imparted to you by his spirit. So what does this mean? Well, it means for each and every one of us, wisdom is available to us. None of us have an excuse. If you're sitting here in this room right now, the fact that you have an unbelieving family, that's difficult, but it's not an excuse for you growing in wisdom. If you have a sin that you just can't get over, and you just keep going back to that same sin, that is not an excuse for you to not be able to grow in God's wisdom. If you're a Christian and you're like, you know, there are other ministries in this city that I could be involved with that are way cooler than yours, that is not an excuse for you to not grow in wisdom. Because God's wisdom is expanded in our mind through ordinary means. You do understand that the Bible is written for who? Answer. Eh, wrong. Children. It's children. The, the Bible's written for children and young adults and old people, but God expects that, that children will come to him. Children. And so none of us have an excuse. The Bible's too hard to understand. Well, guess what? The Spirit imparts wisdom anyways. It's a part of God's plan for us, not only to impart wisdom by his Spirit, but to grow us in his word. And so we don't have to be really, really smart. You, you don't have to, and newsflash, none of us are, you don't have to be really, really awesome. You don't have to have 30 plus Bible verses memorized. 
You don't have to be all caught up on your Bible reading plan. Those are all good things. I'm not diminishing any of those things. Those are great pursuits. But what I'm saying is none of those things are required to grow in wisdom. There's not a standard of, okay, well, once you reach this this height of Christianity, then you start growing. No, right now. Right now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, your mind is being grown in God's wisdom. It may be this much, but that's God's wisdom. What could God do with this much growth in your life tonight? You know, a- answering the question, do you want to be a mature Christian? If the answer is yes, then if you got just this much of God's wisdom tonight, could you imagine? That much is, is, is meteoric in your life because it's not your wisdom. It's, it's God's wisdom. It's a divine, miraculous, like earth-shattering wisdom. And in our lives, it may not feel that big, but it is. And so it's not by who we are or how awesome we are. It's simply by absorbing the Word of God that we grow in this wisdom. We, we take God's Word in. We sit under it in preaching. We read it. We take it in. We absorb it. We soak in it. And then we model our lives after it. That's how you mature. All right, so here I want to like take a little break and ask a question. So, so what do we mean when we say that Jesus and the cross are the wisdom and power of God? So in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and I, I, don't, I, won't, I want to go back and revisit this because I don't want to assume that we all are on the same page. So what do we mean, and what does Paul mean in chapter 1 when he says, Jesus and the cross are the wisdom and power of God? Well, number one, it means this. It means that Jesus and the cross are the way that God shows us his wisdom and power. Oh my, wow, I'm a genius. I should write books, right? It simply means what it means. Now, why is that important? Because all of the Bible is for the purpose of showing us that we are sinners and that Jesus is the savior of sinners. That's what the whole Bible is about. There are all kinds of different books, all kinds of different stories, all kinds of different characters, all kinds of different genres, but the overarching theme of the entire Bible is revealing to sinners that Jesus is the Savior. That's, that's the message of the whole Bible. And so whenever we say that Jesus and the cross are the revelation of God's wisdom for us as human beings, it means that the only thing in life that we should really be concerned about is finding Jesus and following Jesus, because we are the sinners who are lost and need to be found. That's why to us, Jesus is and the cross are, are the wisdom and power of God, because we are sinners in need of a Savior, and in God's wisdom and power, he has provided Jesus the Savior. That's the whole Bible. And number two, the wisdom and power of Jesus and the cross, they are not only something that's true, they are also something that illuminate our life. Right? They enable us to know what God wants for us. Jesus and the cross, they give us meaning in life. Jesus and the cross, they give us the lenses to see reality as God sees it. So think about it like this. You're going about your day and you're thinking, should I make this choice? Okay, would Jesus make this choice? Is this a choice that makes a mockery of the death of Jesus for my sin? Is this thing honoring to God or not? Think about it like this. Should I sacrificially serve others? Well, number one, the Bible says, yes, you should. But secondly, 
Jesus gave up his life in service to sinners. Or maybe this, should I live for God's purposes? Jesus lived a life knowing that he was making his way to a cross. The, the only thing on the horizon of Jesus' life was obedience to the Father unto death. So should I live my life for God? Jesus did. Can I confess my sin? Will, will God forgive me of my sin? Yes, you can. Because that's why Jesus died. So you could confess this sin to somebody. So you could be forgiven of this sin. That's why Jesus died. Should I forgive someone who's done me wrong? Jesus died for sinners. He, he died for people who at one time or another in their life hated him by the fact that they sinned against him. Jesus made, by his death on the cross, enemies of God, children of God. Can you forgive someone? You absolutely can, because you've been forgiven. What should I believe? Is this thing right or is this thing wrong? What does Jesus say? Whose view informed and ruled the life, the decisions, the choices, the desires, the interactions that Jesus had? His Father, God. So what should I think? How should I think? Is this true? Is this right or wrong? Well, Jesus thought that it would be important to allow God's word to inform those things in his life. Am I too bad to be saved? No. Because even a thief on a cross, at his very last opportunity, thought, mm, maybe since you're here and you haven't sinned, maybe you are God's son? And God responds, I'll see you in heaven. Am I too bad to be saved? No, because God even accepts those who are in desperation. So everything, every question that we could ask, we can view through the lens of the gospel, of Jesus Christ crucified. And it's the one truth in life that illuminates every truth. It's the one thing that allows us to see reality as God sees it. It's the one thing that we can run every question or choice or scenario in our life through and come out with the right answer. But again, just to remind you, God's wisdom isn't just knowledge, right? This is not just stuff that I'm thinking, okay, I hope you believe this. Hopefully you guys are on board with this. That is true, by the way. I hope you do believe this. But Paul is not so concerned with the fact that we just assent to these things because I'm telling you right now, you're thinking, okay, yeah, cool. I can buy into all of that. No problem. I'm, I'm down. But it's not just knowledge. Point number two, wisdom is lived. Number one, wisdom is received. Number two, wisdom is lived. So I don't want to make this overly complicated for us at all. A true mark in our lives that we have received the wisdom of God is an ongoing albeit imperfect, desire for God's wisdom. Again, should I not author books? You're thinking, you're so smart I can even grasp that, right? That's what you're thinking. No, you're not, because it's simple. A mark in our life that we have been given the wisdom of God 
is an ongoing desire for God's wisdom. This is what Paul is reminding this church, this messed up church in Corinth. Hey, don't act like that. Remember what I told you when I preached the gospel to you when I was there. We don't act like that. As a reminder, we don't do that. We're Christians. We're called to live this way. Remember, we're the sanctified ones. We're the ones who have been plucked out of the world and placed together as the church. We have a way of living as God's children. Remember, and eventually I think the church in Corinth will say, that's right, you're right, Paul. That's who we are. Because we're God's people and a part of maturing is desiring God's wisdom. So verse nine, he says, um, the mature are those who love him. That's really important. If you are struggling with assurance of salvation right now, my question for you is this. Do you love God more than you love yourself? Now, as a true believer, the answer is easy, yes. Your life may be much more difficult to live that way, but the easy answer for you as a believer is yes. I do love God more than me. The mature are those who, Paul says, love him, God. That means those who seek God's ways. Again, we're not talking about being perfect. We're just talking about people who long and desire for God's desires to be their desires. So for those of you who have said, yes, I do want to be mature in my Christian faith, my response to you would be desire the things God desires. Seek them out. Make them a part of your life. And then finally, as he ends, a, a, an implication of the fact that we have been given the wisdom of God by the Spirit and that by the Spirit and through ordinary means like preaching and teaching, reading the Bible, we are grown in that wisdom. A byproduct of that is that we are the judges of right and wrong. Now, I think this is really important for you to understand because you live in a world where you are constantly being told that your way is the wrong way and that the world's way is the right way. We are now in our lifetimes, in, in this moment, facing one of the most intense moments of indoctrination from the world. I hope you realize that. Now, uh, like, again, I say like along the lines of like gender and sexuality, those things, the church failed on those things like 20 years ago. They horribly botched it because the church is supposed to be about bringing sinners in and loving them and being a hospital for people who are wounded by sin. And we didn't do that. Instead, we just hated those people. And then we had our own little secret sins that we never talked about, but then we hated all the people that had like the gross sins. That's not the church. That's not, that's not what we're about. That's not who we're supposed to be. But now we've gone from an age of just hating things number one, that are sin, but wrongly to now being told that those things are not sin, they're right, and now we feel kind of awkward because we mishandled it so bad, but now we're kind of erring on the side of just accepting, and that's the situation we're in. That's the struggle we're facing. And so when we hear things like, you are the judges of right and wrong, we're kind of like, mm, are we really? Because we haven't been so good at that. We haven't done a good job. The church has been really mean and hateful in the past. The answer is, yeah, that's true. The church has been wrong. And in some regards, the church has sinned and abused and hurt people. But to Paul, that doesn't change this truth, that those who have been given the wisdom of God by the Spirit of God are the judges of right and wrong, not the world. Why? Well, Paul says at the very end, but we have the mind of who? Chapter 2, verse 16, Christ. 
right? What Paul is not saying is that you are superior to the world. Your, your truth is better than anyone. You're better than everyone. Everyone is stupid and you are smart. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that you have been given a spirit of wisdom, not of this age. Verse 6, it is not a wisdom of this age. Why are we the judges of right and wrong? Because the Spirit has been given to us, and the Spirit has given us eyes to see. The Spirit has revealed to us the reality that God sees. That is a really hard position sometimes for you to be in, knowing that what was written in this book that was compiled thousands of years ago is actually true reality that it actually does dictate the way we think, the choices that we make, and what is right and wrong in the world. But if you claim to be a believer, then what Paul is telling you is that you're not just smart because you're a Christian, you're wise because you have the mind of Christ. Two things. Number one, that means you have a responsibility to represent the mind of Christ in the world. It means you stand against sin, and stand against falsehood. But number two, it means you have a responsibility to share the love that God has for sinners. You do realize that Jesus came to die for his enemies. And all along the way, he was telling them why they were wrong. You don't understand. You don't have eyes to see. These are sheep. You are goats. I mean, like at times, even somewhat offensive. All the while in telling them truth, where was he making his way to? to a cross to die for those people. If you are the type of person who's always like just on the kick of being right, then you're all truth and no grace. But if you're the type of person who's all about being accepting and not telling anyone who's wrong, then you're all grace and no truth. Having the mind of Christ means being about truth and grace, both. And if you want to be a mature Christian, then your responsibility is to be both of those things in the world. Okay. So what are you supposed to do? How do I receive this wisdom? Well, I'm just going to give you a couple verses here. Mark chapter 1, verse 5. How do I receive this wisdom? What do I do? I'm an unbeliever. I have no idea what's happening. So Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, that's John the Baptist, and confessing their sins. So they were confessing their sins. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 31. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. They're in jail, by the way, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. That is, no one left. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So Mark tells us that people were going out to John the Baptist and they were confessing their sins. And then in this scenario where Paul and Silas are in prison and this guy comes in and he's like, shoot, all the prisoners broke out. They're either going to kill me or if they escape, the 
Government's going to kill me, so I'm just going to do it myself. And Paul says, don't do it. If you want to be saved, believe in Jesus. So if you want the wisdom of God tonight and you don't have that, I want you to know this. We are called to place our faith in Jesus. The only thing you're asked to do is to place your faith in Jesus. And God will save you and impart his wisdom to you. Okay, so but maybe you've already placed your faith in Jesus and you feel stagnant. Or maybe you feel like you've plateaued in wisdom and you're just not growing. Or you have, quite frankly, a lack of desire to grow in wisdom. But you know you're a believer. Then I want to tell you what God would, would ask of us in this scenario. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, that is, if you feel stagnant, if you feel like you've kind of just hit a plateau, or if you feel like your desire is waning, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so if you're like, I do want to grow in wisdom, I do want to be a mature believer, but right now is just a tough time. Pray and ask God. Ask him to reveal the ways in which you are being unwise and ask him to replace your lack of wisdom, your foolishness with wisdom. If you're struggling through certain topics or cultural things and you're like, you know what, I think this is right, but I don't really know, but it seems like this, but that, all this, pray and ask God to reveal to you what is right and true. Let him guide you into wisdom. And I just want you to know that that's why God has put me here. That's why he has put your leaders here, not because they are smart. So pray and ask God.